Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Last week, Jim did an exceptional message on Bonhoeffer. But I want to just kind of go through the book. It's five chapters. We're going to do more than uh, some weeks we'll do one chapter. This week, I'm only going to do part of the first chapter. So you people who haven't read, you can pick it up and read it. And he begins with this wonderful scripture. Whoops. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren, this says kindred, to live together or dwell together in unity. You know, I love that and I love this scripture because I felt unity with you guys today, right? There was something beautiful about this unity. But, but what is also beautiful about Bonhoeffer is um, he doesn't pull any punches, as I am reading this again, I'm in the first page. It's this short paragraph. He socks us all in the stomach. L- look how he begins. After his, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, he says, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. And at the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. That's us, by the way. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. What is our tendency? We like to be with people we like, right? We like to be with our friends and stuff. And and he's saying, wait a minute, Christians don't belong in cloisters. They belong in, in the world, around people who don't always see the way they see. He says, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with bad people, but with devout people. Here you go. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would have ever been spared? He like... He pulls no punches. He's like, you guys, you don't just want to be with believers. Go out and be in the world, be with people who are enemies. Because who did this? Jesus did it. You call yourself Christians, little Christ. You need to be with people who are enemies of God. I remember years ago in college, I read this book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World by Becky Manley Pippert. And her whole point was the same thing Bonhoeffer is saying. Don't just be Don't just be with people who you're comfortable with. Be out in the world. Make friends with people who don't know Jesus. Make friends with people who have questions about Jesus. Like, Be willing to to be like Jesus. Leave your comfort and go places that that are uncomfortable. And and intentionally doing it. I I have had... You should not smoke. But I might once in a while smoke a cigar. And I have had some of the best conversations with non-believers at cigar places. Muslims asking me about Jesus and other people. Like, like why? Because it's a soft spot where you can sit down and talk to strangers and it's not awkward, right? You saddle up next to a stranger in a restaurant and they are going to feel really awkward. But there, you know, it's a cultural soft spot. And this is what he's talking about. Be willing to go out of your comfort zone for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, Becky Manley Pippert said in a podcast, she said, begin looking for common ground. Any conversation you're having, uh, what are the common interests? 
Here's what happens when you find common ground and why it's so important. When, you find you're, when they find you're a Christian, it's going to be much harder for them to put you in a box because you've already connected authentically as human beings. She's like, oh, they, they get to know you. They get to know you as a human, and then all of a sudden, oh, you're a Christian too. It's why I don't always lead with I'm a pastor, Right? <laughs> Because all of a sudden, you're in a box. I'm, I'm riding on the Bible and bike once, and I meet this guy. And when he finds that I'm a pastor, immediately he asks me a political question. And I blow him off and go, hey, I'd rather talk about Jesus. And he asked me the same political question. And I said, I'd rather, I'm like, I'm not going to engage him, right? Because it's, it, it, you know, I'm like, no. But for some reason, pastor meant politics for him. And I'm like, can we talk about Jesus first? You know, and, and, and it's important to have common ground. You know, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, right? I'll give you the scripture. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And, and years ago, I read a book by Mark Middleberg called Contagious Christianity, I think. Um, and he talked about how many times... As Christians, we need certain components in order to be a contagious Christian, right? Now, contagion, we hear viruses and stuff. Well, Christianity is caught. And he would say that you need to have high potency, close proximity to be a contagious Christian. And sometimes, and Bonhoeffer would say this too, you can have high potency but low proximity. What is that like? That's when you cloister yourself. That's when Christians are all hanging out together always, going to their Christian stuff, but never moving out in other directions. He's like, hey, you might be really potent, but you don't, you're not connecting. You're not rubbing shoulders with anybody. And guess what? You're not going to have much of an impact, right? And then um, you need to be high potency and close proximity. You're salt on the stake, right? Then you have an impact. When I have salt... And steak, I want them together. A lot, if you ask my wife, you know. Uh, now, here's the other thing. Many times, and Jesus talked about this, we have low potency and close proximity. A anybody ever heard of the YMCA? YWCA? Yeah. Billy's wah, right? Okay, yeah. What does it stand for? Young Men's Christian Organization. Association, thank you. Um, do you. Would you know that typically? Some of them you would, but for the most part, no. You can have a good meal. You can do whatever you feel, right? No, okay, all right. Um, so, I, I mean, that's, it's not associated with the, the why, you know, and, and this, is, this is what happens when we're low potency but close proximity. Uh, we, we don't have an impact. We don't... We're not contagious, so to speak. And, and Bonhoeffer would be like, no, you, you're called to be out among your enemies. You're called to be out in the world like Jesus was, and you're called to have high potency. You know what? I was blessed this week. Notice our church is holy. See above my head? Yep. And pretty soon we're going to be holy, holy, holy. Right, Tim? Yes. We won't just have one hole. I'll give you this story. So, uh, so we noticed last Saturday that there was a drip drop, dripped on Mark's head. And um, we were concerned that this place could flood. 
because, oh, there's like the cute ometer going on. It's hard to pay. It's like, I'm going to digress. A couple weeks ago, Jill's leading worship. Her son comes up here, and he's up here with me. And during the benediction, he's like this, doing the benediction. So adorable. And then like the sign of the cross. It was, it was awesome. Um, all right. So back to this. So, so we shut off our fire system, which has like water pressure, air pressure water. And we, we did it so that we won't flood the place. And we came out and, and, oh, when we shut it off, we don't have a smoke detector. We have a fire detector. So if, perchance, our building burned down and we didn't have fire suppressant, the question for us is, would our insurance company cover it? So what we did was a, a 24-hour, every hour, somebody walked through the building. And as Tim and I were talking about it, the thought came to me. I'm like, there's no way people are coming up here and not praying. So I turned it into a prayer vigil fire watch. Because why not, right? Here you are. Let's talk to Jesus. And, you know, I think that's what helps us be potent, right? Spending time with the Lord in prayer. I also think, you know, you, our church does this book, and we read it, and it's a very small book, but everything will come against you on reading this book. You'll be like, oh, he's too intellectual, right? He calls everybody brothers, and I'm a lady. I'm not a brother. I'm just like, get over it. He's writing to male seminarians in the 30s, right? You know, it, he, it, this is, it was written at a certain time, but there's good truth in it, but you might have to put some effort in because we reap what we sow. And we, as we do that, as we move towards God, like, it, it makes us more potent. What you think about comes out of your mouth, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Bonhoeffer would say, get out among your enemies as potent believers in Christ. And, and then he goes on and he says, you know, the physical presence of Christians is the source of incomparable joy and strength to believers. You know, anything I highlight in my book, if I Google it, somebody has quoted it online. That, that's why you're reading this book, because everybody's quoted it, but nobody's read it. Um, and, and this is so true, isn't it? Haven't you been somewhere where just the physical presence of other believers have been so encouraging to you? And I started thinking, I started thinking about different times in my life where, you know, I was lonely, but then I went to a church or I, at college where I heard somebody singing a worship song and I just barged in and met them and became Christian friends. You know, like, it's abnormal to think me and God, that's the way it is. We need each other. Look at Paul. Day, I sorry, night and day we kept praying most earnestly that we may see your face and we may complete what's lacking in your faith. There's something beautiful, synergistic, like that when we come together, we encourage one another. There's this, this beautiful thing that happens as believers. And when I think of Community of Hope, I, I, I have been here a long time. And my heart is warmed when I think about long-term church relationships who have become more than just like, they're friends, right? They're friends. And some of these long-term church relationships are, um, have even become more deeply friends. All right, if you guys don't know, see the little boy looking up at the little girl? I did a Brady Bunch thing here, but they're married now. Is that not adorable or what? Okay, 
And, and so um, I, as I was pulling this together, my mind went to this video that we made years ago what we never used because the college student who pulled it together for us started drinking too much and never finished it. Um, but it just reminds me of the importance of community. Check this out. children, grandchildren, all come together to worship God. We worship Him in song. We, we hear a message from the Bible. It's a, it's a place where we pray. It's a place where the, the music is upbeat and the messages are spiritual and relevant to our everyday lives. Uh, these people just embraced me from the very first Sunday morning. Like, I come in and I feel very comfortable. Um, being here with, with the people around me, and it's been really good. It's helped build me up, and I've had many people to talk to. Everyone was welcome. It's great. Everybody's nice here. <laughs> yes. so I think this is great. This is really different from than what I'm used to. I even got a mug. <laughs> and there's is just such a welcoming feeling. I felt that really right from the beginning. And people that come here comment on that. And I think then they want to go off and do something too. I'm never leaving. <laughs> that was my first time. Community Hope is a place where God can be experienced. It's a place where we experience Him as we worship in song. It's a place where we experience Him through the, the teaching and the preaching. It's a place where we experience Him through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. We also experience him in the lives of one another, in the, in the hearts of one another, because the Bible says Jesus lives within our hearts through faith. The music. <laughs> everybody knows everybody, and everybody cares about everybody, and it's just a very wonderful, homey feeling. Well, I've grown a lot in my faith because I'm able to share what it is that God is doing in my life with people at the uh, church. And I'm getting from other people ways that they're growing in their faith because of what's happening at the church. Community of Hope has definitely affected my spiritual life. Um, it's full of hope. And, uh, there's a, a youthful enthusiasm that I draw strength on. Community of Hope is a place of acceptance. We're not a bunch of people who look down our noses at those who have questions and doubts. We don't look with disdain on those who's whose lives have struggles. We know what it's like to try to raise a family in, in our community with all the challenges. We want to be a people who, who have everything in this church and this community geared to help others on their spiritual journey, to help others mature and develop as followers of Christ. So we work with children from three years old to fourth or fifth grade. So that gives us um, quite a variety. We've seen the kids really um, develop and grow in their relationship with the Lord. They're excited about our children's ministries, and so are we. I'd love to see it grow and reproduce and be fruitful, but maintain the, the grassroots, humane, eye contact feeling. So hopefully we'll have a closeness with a lot of people. Our world is full of, of pain. And Jesus Christ came to, to heal the broken hearts and set the captives free.
to, to, to release people from bondage. I mean, I believe that's the heart of God. He loves the world so much that he wants to, to transform and touch lives, save them by the power of his word through Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for, for the whole world, not just one person. You've never locked eyes with a person that doesn't matter to God. And you know, our prayer right from the beginning is that God would use us to draw people to himself from this community. And uh, we've just seen how it's happened in terms of uh, the location here and how God has uh, brought people uh, that we uh, never expected. But we are all holding each other up. People matter to God and they should matter to us. And that's why God wants all people to be saved. That's his heart. Yeah. So it's been kind of neat to see how it's all coming together. And, uh... I love that. It's been kind of neat. I... You know, maybe I just played that for me, but I watched that, and there's all these, like, memories, and, and there's something real about gathering together and worshiping and getting into community, and maybe you've been like me. It, it does, it's not just here. I, this is in India. These people did not speak English. I didn't understand a word. I watched them give testimonies. I could see the joy, but in the spirit, I felt one with them. You ever been there? Places you, you, don't, you don't have as much connection, but the Spirit of God, you're like, this is, there's a unity here. That's the church. That's the, the church. And yet, look what Bonhoeffer says. It's true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trotted underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brothers is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day might be taken from us, that the time is, uh, still separates us from utter loneliness. You know, hard for us to, to see that, but Bonhoeffer, you know his story. It wasn't much later they closed this seminary down, this underground seminary, and where was he? Jail. Fellowship was taken from him. And there are people around the world who long for fellowship, and they don't have it. And yet here in America, especially with COVID, I understand people staying away for health, but I think it may have made people more of a consumer when it comes to church, right? You know the consumer mindset, like what's in it for me? I read this article about how not to uh, be just a consumer at church. And I thought, yeah, how important it is to, when you worship, pray for the people around you. Did you ever do that? You know, it's you're singing, you're like, Lord, I, don't, I, I may not know these people around me, but I pray that you touch their hearts so they could taste of your goodness. You know what their needs are. Like, I, for the worship leaders, Lord, bless our worship leaders. Pour your grace upon them. Like, like when you're just a consumer, it's all about you, but as you come and worship, may it be about us, right? The body. And you know what else I think blesses people? When you forget about yourself and you magnify the Lord and you're sincerely singing from your heart unto him, right? When the songs become a communication between you and God. You know, how not to be a consumer is to connect with people. 
And it's not always easy. Sometimes you have to join a small group. Gretchen and I uh, went to a church in Pittsburgh, and we tried to break in. And, you know, it was so hard. I don't mean break into the church. I mean just, like, become a part of it. One Sunday, it was snowy. It wasn't, there weren't a lot of people there. It was like COVID hit before COVID, right? You know, there weren't a lot of people there. And I went up to the guy next to me and introduced myself, and he kind of blew me off, you know, all this strange guy. And then they had those awkward moments. Some churches still have them. Anybody who's a guest here, please stand up. So, like, we're the only guests in this whole place. And can I say this place held like 1,200, you know? And and, uh, I stand up and, hi, it's my wife, kids, you know. Um, And then, and then I, this guy next to me who blew me off wanted to be my best friend. I'm like, I don't want to be your friend now. Why were you my friend before? You know, um, it, sometimes it's hard to break into a church and it takes tenacity. If you're new here, I pray you're tenacious, right? Because it's hard because everybody's had their friends and you have to like work at it. You have to join small groups. You have to, you know, start getting involved. It takes time. And it also seek to serve. Lord, how can I help? How can I do something? How can I be a part? Not, you know, when you come to a church, just what's in it for me, that's just a consumer mentality. Like, we're the body. Everyone is needed. Jesus wants to use you today as his body. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We're not the Kauaians, right? We're not uh, the, the fellowship of the I don't know what, but you know what I mean? Like, we, we aren't just like a group of people getting together around a, some kind of interest. We are born into the family of God. We are in Christ, and that's what makes us the church, and that's what makes us community. No Christian community is more or less than this, whether it's brief or a single encounter or daily fellowship of years. Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through Jesus Christ. I'm on a bus coming from London to Cambridge, and I meet this person who's sitting next to me, and we start talking, and she's a believer. And we had church, right? You know what I mean. I mean, it wasn't church, but we had fellowship. Like, there was true fellowship at talking about Jesus to this person who was a stranger, but then was more than a stranger after the fellowship. And she was from like Spain or one of those you know, countries. And we got off the bus. She like kissed me on both sides of my face. I'm a college student. I stood there going, that felt great. But she walked away. It was nothing more, much more than a handshake to her. But to me, it was great. But no need to kiss here in church, even though the Bible says it. Um, but the point is, is we had, like, we had fellowship. There's something beautiful about that, but it's only in Jesus Christ. Why? Why is fellowship only in Jesus Christ? What's particular or even peculiar about our fellowship than about other, other communities? Well, Bonhoeffer would say this, and I totally agree with him. We have an alien righteousness. You're like, what? Do you get a picture of E.T. touching somebody, Right? We have an alien righteousness. And this is what the reformers talked about. The idea is what Paul is saying in Philippians. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. My enoughness, my righteousness is what Jesus Christ has given to me. My bank account was empty. He says, I'm going to fill it with all of my riches. 
right? That's an alien righteousness, so to speak. One that's through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God based on faith. Garrison Keillor told a story. He said, everybody in the family knew Uncle John couldn't pray without talking about the cross and crying. Sure enough, Uncle John prayed, talked about the cross, and cried. Meanwhile, do you ever have that? Family members who just go on and on when they pray? Meanwhile, the rest of us shifted nervously from one foot to the other and longed for the prayer to end. All of us knew that Jesus died on the cross for us, but Uncle John had never gotten over it. Is that not beautiful? Is that not beautiful? And that's the alien righteousness. That's a you did it for me. We all need to be Uncle John and we need to know Uncle John's. Why? Because we forget the alien righteousness. Every morning we leak it and we say, how am I doing today? I don't know. How do I judge myself on what other people think, on how well I perform, right? And we need each other to come along and go, no, no, wait. Let me tell you about Jesus afresh and anew today. If you're here and you're worried about what people think about you or how well you're performing, you need to hear that you are deeply loved just as you are, not as you should be. Deeply loved, chosen by God, his beloved son and daughter. Bonhoeffer says, he, we, need brothers as bearers and proclaimers of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's heart is sure. We need each other to speak this gospel message to each other regularly, over and over and over again. I remember having lunch with a gal. I went out to California with my son on a train and looked up a high school friend. And we went out to breakfast, kids in tow. And her dad was a pastor here in the area. And she told me, you know, when he was on his deathbed, he, he was worried that he hadn't done enough. And then I read Luther writing about this. And he said, you know, on our deathbed, our minds go to all the things we didn't do. And we need someone to come to us and say, Jesus is your rock, your salvation. You've got an imputed righteousness, not based on what you've done, but based on what he's done for you. The word of the brother is more certain than our own hearts. Why? Because let's be honest. Every day we want to we wanna say, I am somebody because I'm somebody to somebody else. Romance. I am somebody because look how good I'm parenting. I am somebody because I, I work well or people like me on, on some social media platform. I am somebody because in my luxuries, in my playtime, I have accomplished this or accomplished that. I am somebody because it's somehow connected to food or politics or religion. You know, and, and our righteousness is not in our efforts or our performance, even though over and over we want to be defined by that. Our righteousness, our enoughness is in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, that's what makes us a church. Second, as Christians come to others, we come only through Jesus Christ. Uh, among people, there's strife, but he is our peace. Paul said, without Christ... There's discord between man and God and between man and man. 
And that is so true, isn't it? Just talking to somebody before church, and it's the same message, right? We're always dividing, and God is bringing us all together under Christ, connected to Christ, surrendered to Christ, allowing His Spirit to work in and through us to make us one. But we got to leave our ego at the door, don't we? Because let's face it, we're going to offend one another. I mean, this is just what's going to happen. Without Christ... Uh, we, we could not know our brothers, nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. I mean, there's something about humbling yourself, not thinking of others as higher, well, think of them as higher than you, but you're not higher than others. Just like the ground is level. If my righteousness comes not by my performance, and your righteousness comes not by your performance, then I don't care if you've got $10 million in the bank or two bucks in your bank or a negative bank account. We're all the same, aren't we? Right? Our righteousness comes from the same. If I stand up here and preach and you sit there and listen, our righteousnesses are equal. Right? I'm not better than you or more righteous than you because I'm two feet up. Right? It's not the way it... We... And we need to remind our egos of this because now we have peace with God. We still get offended. We still get hurt. But we need to see ourselves as recipients of undeserved grace. We need to humble ourselves daily. I I love this saying because it's so true and it helps me. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable you. When I'm hurt and offended, I just want to hurt back. Don't you? Or be passive-aggressive. Some are passive-aggressive. Some are aggressive. And, and I have to get my eyes off of the injury and onto how much I've injured Christ. I was with someone. They were human sandpaper to me this week. And I have to say to myself, you dug our human sandpaper to Christ. And you rubbed him raw on the cross. So you love your brothers and sisters. Like, like if not, I, I just, my ego just gets in the way. We all need to learn how to humble ourselves. When, when God was merciful to us, Bonhoeffer writes, we learn to be merciful to our brethren. When we receive forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive our brethren. What God did to us, we owe to others. The more we received, the more we're able to give. And the more meager our brotherly love, the less we're living by the mercy, by God's mercy and love. That's, that's powerful, isn't it? Uh, Tim Keller tells a story of, of an elder board. And they were bringing people in to, to candidate and one guy, real spiritual guy, real like rock in the church, so to speak, leaves and they're talking, well, should he be an elder? And the pastor says, no, he doesn't have enough joy in his life. And they're like, what? Yeah, if he knew how forgiven he was, he would have a lot more joy. Isn't that it? it, it Bonhoeffer's like, The more we receive, the more we're able to give. The more meager our brotherly love, the less we're living by God's mercy and love. We're still trying to save ourselves. Thus, God himself taught us to meet one another as God has met us in Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us in glory. 
I'm going to end with a long quote slash story from a more recent book by Becky Manley Pippert called Stay Salt. And she talks about her relationship with her brother, Bobby, and she says, we were Irish, Irish twins, born 12 months apart, 12 months and two weeks. And everyone knew my brother. They loved him. He was full of life. He had tremendous wit, a huge heart. He made significant mistakes as an adult. And life had consequences and experiences that made some of his years very hard. But we always remained close, and he always admired my faith, and, and he made, but he never made it his own. And he said, while I was living in, she said, while I was living in the UK, one day my brother called. And instantly I could tell he, he wasn't his normal happy self. He wanted to tell me something, and finally he said, oh, Becky, I have such regrets about my life. Bobby, she said, that's wonderful because the gospel makes most sense to people who have regrets. Yes, he answered, but, but when I look at how I live my life and then I look at how you've lived yours, I feel so ashamed. Oh, I, I grant that your sins are more colorful than mine, but I, what we have in common is we're both sinners And we're both desperately in need of God's forgiveness. That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. He's just waiting for you. Yes, he said, but I have to do something to prove that I really mean it. And that I'm really sorry. I have to show him. I have to work hard for this. And she says, no, 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 no. There's absolutely nothing you can do to fix the problem. Because God has done it already. All you need to do is tell God you're sorry, acknowledge your sins, accept Jesus' offer of grace, his death, his resurrection, receive him, believe in him. Because I had shared my faith with Bobby countless times over the years, I was afraid to get my hopes up. Yet I sensed that this time was different. And when we hung up, he said, Becky, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. A few weeks later, I felt the Lord nudging me to gather the whole family together for a Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. And on that day, Bobby walked through the door. I, I, I took a look at him, and I wondered, what's happened to Bob? He looks different. There's more joy. He's peaceful. But we had such a busy time with the whole family there, I never had a private moment with him. And after everybody left, we discovered something that he had left behind. So we phoned him, he drove back, and I had a chance to catch up. He told us he had finally faced the fact that he had been running from God all these years. And he was filled with such joy, and so were we when he said, I finally told Jesus, yes, I surrendered my life. Becky, since that moment, you can't imagine how many prayers have been answered. So Bob left, and I looked at my husband with kind of an uncontainable joy, she said, Five days later, Bobby was killed in a car crash. As I processed my shock and grief, I came to see God's hand in it, how he, how he moved me to pull together the family so we could all have that time with Bobby and how he allowed me to hear his story from his own mouth. A week later, my husband and I spoke at his funeral and afterwards, A friend of Bobby's threw a party in his honor at a local restaurant. As we walked in, I said to my husband, let's let's make this short. I am so drained. But an hour later, we hadn't even taken our coats off. 
Bobby's friends approached us from every direction for one reason. They wanted to talk about God. Two sisters came up to me, told me they were raised in a joyless, judgmental home. Their dad was a pastor. And they said they were stunned when she shared that the gospel is for people who have regrets. We were taught that we had to appear perfect because our dad was a pastor. And you were saying that Christianity is so much more than that. And a group of Bobby's friends came up to my husband. They looked a little worse for wear, and they talked to him for a very long time. And they asked him, hey, if you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and truly was resurrected, and their husband said, yeah, I really believe it. And then they said, one guy said, well, if Jesus really was the Son of God and rose from the dead and is now in heaven, then there's only one question that matters. What does he think about me? She goes, we didn't even sit down for two hours. Finally, we thanked everybody. I thanked the woman who hosts the party, and, and then my eye caught a guy sitting at the bar with 10 beers stacked up there. It was a guy who I'd gone to high school with. And he said, uh, could we talk for a minute? And, and they talked, and he said, I, I heard you talk about how, how can we reject Christ when we haven't even investigated his claims and I've decided I'd like to investigate. And she said she wrote down on a napkin the names of some good books. And then he said, where should I start in the Bible? And she said, start in the Gospels. And as they're walking away, he yelled across this crowded room, what's a Gospel? <laughs> Will you pray with me? Lord, we're your church. Thank you that you want to use each of us for your namesake. Father, I pray that our lives could count not only for time, but also for eternity. And Jesus, I do ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.